All right, as you grab a seat, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to go ahead and grab that right now. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, this is the easiest turn of your life. It's just literally the first page of the Bible. It's where we're going to be. I want to welcome those of you watching online. Glad you're joining with us uh, as we kick off tonight uh, a brand new teaching series. Now, as we kick off this teaching series, I'm informed uh, that it's called Pillow Talk. I have no idea what that means, um, but... Uh, Apparently, it's meaningful, and I'm excited about this. What, what we're going to do is really spend the next couple weeks talking about romance, the kingdom of God. We're, we're going to talk about singleness, and we're going to talk about dating, and we're going to talk about sex, and we're going to talk about marriage, and we're going to talk about kids, and we're going to talk about all of those things. Uh, and I want you to know that um, when we prepare sermon series like this, like we are profoundly aware that this is the most unmarried room in the church, okay? Yeah, 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 We're, which is another way to say like there's single people in here, right? Um, and, um, and, and when we, so, so, so here's what we're aware of. We're, we're very much aware um, that, that in rooms like this, um, it is filled with single people. Now, I know some of you are dating someone, but really single just means you're not married. And so you're in a relationship. Uh, you're heading toward that. You're single and ready to mingle. Uh, you've been burned and you're dating Jesus. Like there's a lot of different folks here in the room tonight. I, I, and yet as we, jump into, as we jump into this teaching series, um, I, I want to begin tonight by sort of laying some groundwork. And, and then over the weeks, we're going to talk about dating and marriage and sex and children and all these different things. So that's going to be this summer. And so uh, our real hope for this is that this would be compelling uh, and meaningful to you this summer as you consider your life and your future. Uh, our, our additional hope is that if you're someone who's kind of in a space where you're like, I know some people who could be helped by this, that you would bring them this summer. Does that make sense? Like that this is kind of one of those things like, hey, they're going to be talking about dating tonight. They're going to be talking about this stuff. You may want to come with me. But, but really, I want to lay a foundation tonight for the rest of this series that I think will be helpful to all of us as we move forward. Uh, and that's this, that, that when we think about relationships and the kind of relationships we're going to be talking about going forward this summer, uh, I want to put down this principle as we begin, and that's this, that healthy relationships grow in the soil of empathy. That's how healthy relationships grow. A healthy relationship between a man and a woman, whether they are dating, whether they are engaged, whether they are married, whether they've been married for a long time, it grows in the soil of empathy. And empathy, empathy is the willingness and desire to understand how the other person is experiencing this life. Now, now here's what I want to point out. Empathy would be totally unnecessary in this world if this life wasn't filled with pain. If this life was easy and simple and everything always went well, if this life just kind of cruised along and always was easy and there was never a bad moment, you wouldn't really need to empathize with everyone. But because people have unique pain in this world and unique struggles and unique difficulties, empathy is not just sort of an optional thing in a relationship. It is an essential thing in the kind of healthy relationships that we're going to talk about this summer. And here's what you know and I know about empathy. That empathy is rooted in, empathy is based in, understanding. Empathy begins with understanding, with taking the effort to understand the other person that you are in a relationship with. And so I've been married to my wife for 10 years, uh, and yet there's still these moments, right? 10 years, I made it. Um, but, 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 but there's still these moments, like I'll come home from work, uh, and after a long day of having three babies under the age of six, it's just exhausting and overwhelming. And what I have to do to empathize with her isn't just feel bad for her. That's sympathy. Empathy is trying to get into the headspace of what it would be like to manage these three wild children, these three little human beings that have been crazy all day. 
That's what empathy is. It begins with me trying to understand what that was like for my wife. And similarly, if I come home from a day at work and I'm just exhausted or overwhelmed or stressed about something, she can't just feel bad for me. That's sympathy. Empathy is trying to understand where I am coming from. And as we begin a relationship series, I want to begin with this word empathy. And I want to begin with this idea of understanding. Because I think if you are going to date someone, if you're going to have a healthy relationship with someone, you're going to have to develop the muscle of empathy. And that begins with the empathy for the person who is across from you. So men, let me start this way. Like for men, I just need us to know if you're going to date a woman, you've got to understand her as a woman. And women, if you are going to date a man, you need to understand her as a man. Or you need to understand him as... <laughs> you need to understand him as a man. Like this needs to happen. You need to start with this basis of empathy because here's two statements I want to make tonight. That, that, that Men, let me speak to you this way. You cannot empathize with a woman until you work to understand her. Like you cannot and will not do it. You will not be able to empathize unless you work to understand her. And the ladies, the same thing. You cannot empathize with a man unless you work to understand him as a man, as a man created in the image of God. And so here in this opening sermon, um, we are going to jump into what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and what it means for you to understand the person you are dating as a man or as a woman. And I'm going to beg the tech booth to turn off this hazer so I don't die up here, okay? Um, <laughs> much love. So, so here's what I want to suggest. Um, I, I, think, I think this idea of understanding men as men and women as women and ladies, for you to understand that when you're dating a man, you're actually dating a man and that he's like you but not like you can be illustrated in this way. So let me give you two quotes. Here's the first quote. Women think and act exactly like I do. Who says this? A man who clearly does not understand women. And then let me give you the other quote. That men think and act exactly like I do. Who says this? A woman who clearly does not understand men. And so my concern tonight is this. My concern is that as you step into a dating relationship, that you wouldn't think that this is just another human being who thinks and acts and believes and behaves exactly like I do. Because that is not empathy. Empathy can only exist when you go, this person is like me and yet they are different. Because God has made them different. And so here's tonight the two statements I want to make before we jump into Genesis 1. Number one, until you stop assuming the opposite gender is just like you, you cannot have a healthy relationship. Until you stop this assumption, men, that women are just like you except prettier, like you will never have a healthy relationship. Ladies, until you stop assuming that men are just like you except a little bigger, like you will never have a healthy relationship. But then I want to take it a step further. Until you stop demanding the opposite gender act just like you, you cannot have a healthy relationship. See, one of the most toxic and destructive things we do in relationships is men, we expect ladies to act just like men. And ladies, you expect your boyfriend, you expect your husband to act just like you. And again, if we're going to talk about empathy, it begins with understanding men as men and women as women and what that means. So let me show you Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and look at it there. It'll be on the screen as well. Here's the verse, first chapter of the Bible. It says this. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created him or created them. So you see it begins with God. He's creating the entire world. It says it creates mankind. Sometimes we can get really ruffled up about mankind in the Bible. Mankind is clearly referring to them, man and woman. It says in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So let me just observe a few things about this verse, this scripture right here in the first chapter of the Bible. The first thing I want to observe is simply this, and this is important, that the very first sentence about human beings in the Bible is this one. 
the very first sentence about human beings in the Bible. Actually, go, go, go back, go back, please, if you would. Uh, I want to keep this up for a while. Very first sentence in the Bible that mentions human beings, mentions male and female. It mentions gender. I just want us to be aware that this dichotomy between male and female, men and women, boys and girls, is like the first thing God has to say about human beings. He created them in his image, and he created them male and female. So here's what I want us to understand. It's not random. It's not a social construct. It's not something we've made up. It's not something that's arbitrary. It is right in the created order that God put into the fabric of this universe. It's like God wanted you to understand right from the beginning that he created men as male and women as female. That's the first thing. Number two, I want us to understand that God created human beings, men and women, you'll see this twice, in his own image. So we're going to talk tonight about the differences between men and women and how that plays into romantic relationships. But the first thing we have to establish is that both men and women are created in the image of God, worthy of dignity and value and respect. And if anywhere along the way you have picked up the idea that somehow men or women are less than because of their gender, because of their sex, I want you to understand that that is nowhere found in Scripture. In fact, the Scripture says the exact opposite. I was talking to someone once here at the church who said she grew up in a church where they said that God loves boys more than girls. And I don't think anyone here actually believes that. But in case you actually do, I want you to know that the scripture says the exact opposite. That God so loved the world, all of us, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whosoever, men or women, would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Women, God loves you. Men, God loves you. It's right here in the first sentence about human beings in the Bible. So I want to observe that too. Uh, And then before we go on, I just want to make a comment about some language I'll be using tonight. Um, Tonight already, you've heard me use the word sex. You've heard me use the word gender. And tonight, I just want to let you know, I'm going to use those concepts and those words interchangeably. I am well aware of the argument, the ideology, and the idea that says sex and gender are different things, unconnected, not related to one another, or only tangentially related. I'm aware of that assertion. I'm aware of that argument. I've listened and I've understood, but it's not something I believe. I believe in the Bible that male and female are how God has created us, that men and women and male and female are these distinct and beautiful categories that God has created, and that's what I see and what I believe in the Scripture. So you'll hear me talk about sex and you'll hear me talk about gender. And sometimes I use the word gender just because sex makes us think of other things that aren't related to just dudes and gals, right? Like that's what our mind goes to. So I'm going to talk about that tonight. But I want to be abundantly clear that what I see in the scriptures is the beauty of how God has created male and he has created female. Let let me show you it this way. The first sentence in the Bible about human beings teaches us two things. And I think this is significant for us. Number one, that men and women are similar and that they are created in the image of God. So so once again, when you look at a woman, men, women, when you look at a man, you are looking at another individual created in the image of God. And as much as you love your cat or your dog or your lizard or your parakeet, as much as you love any animal in this world, only human beings are created in God's image. It is a beautiful thing to look into the eyes of another human being and know that in some mysterious way, you are looking at a human being created in the image of the God Almighty. Number two, I want you to know that women and men, men and women are different in the way they were created, in that they were created male and female. So these are the two things we're holding tonight. That when I look at a woman, I am looking at someone who is like me, but not like me. Women, when you look at a man, you are looking at someone who is like you, but not like you. And it's those differences, those beautiful God-created differences that I want to talk about tonight. Uh, I want to start this way with the two mistakes we make. The two mistakes we make when we talk about God-given gender differences. 
And I believe there are a million mistakes we can make, but generally I'll put them in two categories. Here's mistake number one. Mistake number one is stereotype men and women and demand conformity. So here's the first mistake men and women make when we talk about gender and the differences between men and women, male and female, is we kind of stereotype a certain kind of man and we stereotype a certain kind of woman. And then what we say is if you're not this type of man or this type of woman, you're not a real man or you're not a real woman. And there's at least two reasons I have an objection to this. The first is that I don't see any such definitions in the Bible. Okay, so the Bible is not going to give a bunch of arbitrary, superficial ideas of what it means to be a man and call me to step into that. And the second reason that's less important than what I see in the Bible or not, that's way more important, but the second reason is, anytime I hear the description of like, this is what a real man is supposed to be, I, unfortunately, never fit the description. It's so discouraging. Like I hear that a real man should have like a big burly beard. And if you've known me for any amount of time, I've never had a beard. And I like to say it's because my wife, Danny, likes me clean shaven, but it's not that. It's that anytime I've tried to grow a beard, it looks terrible, okay? It just looks awful. And so I've never really done it. I can't really do that. Well, real men are supposed to go hunting and fishing. And the only thing I go hunting for is ice cream in my freezer, okay? Like that's the only thing. And so for me, like fishing, I'm like, I played go fish once. Like, I don't know. Like, that's not my deal. And so sometimes we just stereotype, like, men have beards and hunt and fish and wear flannels. I'm like, ah, that's not really me. And like, oh, men wear suits and go golfing. I was like, also not me. And so, like, I just hit this place where the gender stereotype that just demands conformity doesn't work. And ladies, you know the exact same thing. Like, ladies, you know that there's this gender stereotype around you, and sometimes you just feel forced into this box about what you're supposed to like or not like, and if you ever like anything outside of that, it means you're not a woman. So I want to say that that's the first mistake we make, is this kind of stereotyping, and I want to do everything I can not to make that error tonight. I want to do everything I can not to say, this is what women have to be, and you feel like if I leave this place and I'm not that, then I'm less than. But then I want to talk to you about the second error we make. And the second error we make, I think, may be more pervasive in this room. Mistake number two, deny any meaningful differences between men and women exist because exceptions exist. So so this is the second mistake. The second mistake is because exceptions exist, because there isn't this rigid conformity that we all have to hold to, there's this denial that any meaningful differences between men and women exist. And yet, here's what I want to observe. I think intuitively we all know that there is a difference between men and women. That is one of those things we just intuitively know about the world. It's like intuitively you know that if this room was only guys and no girls, there would be a different dynamic, right? Or only girls and no guys. Or if you go to a guys' night, there is a different dynamic than if there are both men and women there, right? Or ladies, if you have ladies' night, right, and there's a guy who shows up, it changes it. And that's not something you can, like, explain or put words around. You just know it to be the case. It's like any time you have watched a romantic comedy and you have laughed or smiled or enjoyed it, it's because intuitively you know that men and women trying to figure each other out is hilarious because we're like each other but not exactly like each other. And so I want to identify that men and women have differences, and that's true even though exceptions exist. And it's true even though there's people who don't necessarily fit that mold. So I want to offer you a phrase tonight that has been helpful for me in talking about men and women. Avoiding the error over here of stereotyping, but also avoiding this error of saying men and women are just the same because I can't define a group in one way. Here's the phrase I want to offer you tonight. That things can be normal without being universal. Things can be normal, usual, typical, by and large true, without being universally true without being true of every single one of these things. So let me give you two examples. Number one, stop signs are red. 
Are we on board with that? Stop signs are red. And stop signs are red even if in your neighborhood, as a prank, once somebody painted the stop sign green. You're like, I have a green, I've seen a green stop sign. I'd be like, no, 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 they're still red. By and large, generally, overwhelmingly, that seems to be the case that stop signs are red. Even if you can point me to a blue one or a green one or a white one, stop signs are red. Or let me give you this, cars have four wheels. I'm not talking about trucks or any of those types of things. Cars have four wheels. And that is true even if one time you saw a car with a fifth wheel in the front or back. That is true even if you know of a car with eight wheels. There are about a thousand cars parked in this parking lot right now because of this graduation. If you walked through this parking lot right now and you looked at a thousand cars, probably 999 of them would have four wheels. And just because you can point to one and say that's an exception doesn't mean it's not generally true. And why am I making a big deal of this? Because if we're going to learn to empathize with the opposite sex, with the opposite gender, you have to be able to say, by and large, women experience this. By and large, men experience this. And if it's not true of this exact person, that's okay. But learning to empathize with a different gender, learning to empathize with the opposite sex begins with you being able to say, it's not true of every person, but it certainly is true of enough that I can learn to empathize in this way. Things can be, things can be normal without being universal. So let me give you a few examples when it comes to men and women. Let me show this first slide here. On average, generally speaking, usually this is true. Women live longer than men. There are lots of ideas of why that is the case. There are lots of funny things about why that might be the case. There are great memes on the internet, but this is like, this is not an opinion. This is not a feeling. This is not anecdote like all the women in my life. This is just like statistics, like government data. Women live longer than men. And that is true even if your grandma died in her 50s. And that is true even if your grandpa lived to 112. Men are taller than women. Again, this is just biologically, data-wise true. And that is true even if your sister is 6'8", and even if your brother is 4'9". Like, it's just true. And again, we can say things are generally true. Overwhelmingly, that's the case, even when exceptions exist. Let me take you to the next slide here. Let's think about it in this way. Generally speaking, women are interested in people, and men are interested in things. Now, what does that mean? It means that the overwhelming majority of jobs that are focused on people, on other human beings, are occupied by women. We're talking about nurses, we're talking about counselors, we're talking about therapists, we're talking about teachers, overwhelmingly dominated by women. And then what do I mean by men are interested in things? Overwhelmingly jobs that are focused on things like plumbers and architects and engineers and craftsmen and all those things who are focused on things, overwhelmingly dominated by men. Now, here's where I say things can be normal without being universal. My job basically focuses on no things. The only thing I have is this podium right here. Like, that's all I got. My job is focused on people. And so again, things can be generally true without being true of every single individual in this world. Next slide. Things can be normal without being universal. Women are better understanding complex relationships. Women are better at being like, oh, did you see her face in that moment? I think she might be upset with him. And I think maybe what she said over like, like ladies, you're just better at that. And that's like a gift to the world because dudes just usually have no clue. I can't tell you how many times I've left family gatherings with my wife. And she's like, did you see that? I was like, what? <laughs> right? And it's a beautiful thing. It's generally true. And then what? Men are better at enduring stressful situations. So just by and large, men are ever better able to handle criticism and heavy moments. That's why we send men into war, men into crisis situations. And again, that's not true of every man. And it's not true of every woman. But we need to be able to say out loud, this is generally, by and large, usually true. Next slide. That women, 
Women feel a greater burden toward family and men feel a greater burden toward work. That is not to say women shouldn't work. Of course, if you want to work, you should work. It's to say that generally, by and large, you look at an average man, average woman, there is a burden that women have toward their parents, toward their sisters, toward their brothers, toward their husbands, toward their children, that men don't feel as much toward. Now, you can say that's right or wrong, but that is just generally overwhelmingly normal, even though it's not universal. And again, if we're going to empathize with each other, we have to start with, hey, this is just generally true. Uh, Let me give you one more here. Um, That women, uh, next slide, that women desire love from their partners and men desire respect from their partners. And it's not to say that women don't want to be respected and that men don't want to be loved. But when you look at the deepest desires of a man and deepest desires of a woman, what you find is that women want to feel loved, they want to feel safe, they want to feel secure, and men want to feel respected, they want to feel honored, they want to feel encouraged. Again, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to empathize with the opposite sex, and we're trying to give ourselves permission. I just want to give you permission to say out loud what is just obviously true. We live in a world where even what I just said here, I don't know, maybe you got tense, you're like, are we allowed to say that men and women are different? And the answer is yes. God created not just generic human beings. He created two kinds of human beings, equal in dignity and value and worth. He created men and women, male and female, boys and girls. And here's what I want you to know, that the differences between men and women are a God-given gift to humanity. They are God's gift. It's beautiful. It's good. It's right. And it's a beautiful thing for us to acknowledge. We don't want to downplay it. We don't want to minimize it. We don't want to pretend it's not there. We don't want to get angry when someone just points out reality, even if it just doesn't fit us. Maybe I said some things already tonight. You're like, that doesn't fit me perfectly. Not all those things fit me perfectly. And yet we can observe what's generally true. And here's why we do it. Because God is honored when we celebrate what he created. And not just generally creation. He's honored when we specifically celebrate it. It's like if your mom cooks an amazing home-cooked meal for you, and you're like, Mom, this was amazing. What did you do? What did you add to the potatoes tonight? This was so good. I love what you did with this, right? When you narrow in on something she created, it honors her. Or like when someone creates a piece of art or a film or a song that's beautiful, and you don't just say, like, cool song, but you're actually like, I love the bridge, how you did this one thing, and you narrow in on what they created, it's a beautiful thing. It honors them. This is how we honor God. One of the ways we honor God is by celebrating what he created rather than downplaying, dismissing, or ignoring it. Uh, I want to jump to Genesis chapter 2. If you have your Bible, just flip to the next page. Uh, In chapter 2 and verse 20, God creates, it it says man and woman in his image, but then it gives us this really dialed in picture of how he creates this man, this man Adam who was created first. It says this in verse 20. It says, so the man, and this is Adam, gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But then this is the key sentence in verse 20. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And so really what we're doing in this series is we're kind of dialing back to the very beginning how God creates man and woman. And this story in the scriptures, you may think there's no way that's true. That sounds like a myth. Listen, here's my thing with the Bible. If God says it, I'm just going to believe it. And if it sounds fanciful, I believe in a God who spoke and created the whole universe. So if he can do that, he can do anything, okay? That's my general view on these things. But I want to show that God creates woman out of the rib of a man. But if we look in verse 20, we're going to see a word that actually sets some people off, but it's really beautiful. And that word is this, that for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, 
When you see in the scriptures this word helper, some, some translations say a helpmate was not found. Well, what actually happens is we can really quickly start to think that God is referring to women as a helper in the kind of way that we would refer to like a little buddy, like a little minion, a servant, like a little bit less than, who just kind of is like a nice helper in your life. Because that's the way we hear helper. We hear helper and we hear like, oh, that's nice of you. But that is not all what God is meaning to say here. So let me show you the Hebrew word behind this word helpmate or helper. It is the word azer. Now, azer is actually found all throughout the Old Testament. It's not only found here. It's translated helper or helpmate. But here are the words of John Walton, Old Testament theology professor, and what he says about this word. The word helper or azer is a common enough description of someone who comes to the aid and provides a service for someone. It carries no implications regarding the relationship or relative status of the individuals involved. In fact, the noun form of the word found here in this verse is used elsewhere, almost always exclusively refers to God as the one who helps his people. So this word azer is not meant to be like little buddy. It's not meant to be less than. It's not meant to be like a diminishing thing or a condescending thing. In fact, what he says, and I'll show you this three times, azer in the Old Testament almost always refers to God. Psalm chapter 33, verse 20 says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our azer and our shield. Psalm 121.1 says this, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my azer come from? My help, my azer comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 115, your faithfulness, it says, you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their azer and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their azer and shield. You who fear and trust in the Lord, he is their azer and shield. And so in order to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, and think that azer, helper, helpmate, means someone less than, you would actually have to believe that God is less than. And God's not less than anything. God is the almighty God greater than all things, and yet he is called an azer just as women are called an azer, just as women are called a helpmate. Here's what we need to know, that the first woman was created as a helper, a helpmate, an azer for the first man, and this is a beautiful, good thing we can celebrate. This is an honoring thing that is bestowed upon women, that women are called the helpmate to the man. Like my wife, uh, she, my wife Danny loves this phrase, azer. Uh, like she thinks this is a beautiful call on her life, a beautiful thing that God has spoken over her as a woman. Uh, I'll never forget my favorite story with this word was we were driving through the Oaks Mall once and we were looking for parking. And here's what you know, the Oaks Mall is either completely empty or like full beyond imagination, right? And so we were driving through during one of those full beyond imagination days and I'm driving, she's sitting in the passenger seat and as I'm driving, she does the thing that like um, I would never want to happen ever and that's her going like, you missed a spot. Actually, you should have turned, he's just right over there, right over there. Oh, no, no, over, over there. And she's like pointing to different parking spots I could get to. And I'm just going like, there's no way. And so I just look over at her with the adoring look of a husband who loves his wife of 10 years so much. And I smile and I say, babe, I love you so much, but I need you to know that I'm not new at this. I have driven a car before and I am not in need of your assistance at this time. And then she, without hesitation, looks back at me with the adoring look of a wife who adores this husband of hers and says, babe, I don't know what to say. God made me as a helper. If you've got a problem with me, take it up with him. But that's what it is. So she, she, she goes, no, I'm actually leaning into this helpmate. I'm trying to help. And that's a silly story, right? Because that can just be a naggy, you missed a spot. But you know what my wife does for me? She is the helper in my life in the same way that God is the azer, the helper of Israel. What she does is she steps in and she helps me see the world for what it actually is. 
She's the one who can say, Brian, Brian, you're overreacting to this moment. Brian, Brian, you missed that person's emotion. You wounded that person here. Brian, 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 you actually need to go back to that person and apologize. Brian, 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 God's gonna provide for us. You're panicked about this. What does she do? She draws me out of the darkness into the light. That's what my wife does as the azer in my life, as the helpmate in my life. Can I speak this? This is true of my wife. This is true of women, that women are the gift of God. Women are a gift of God to men. And that is a beautiful, good thing. But then you know what? Genesis chapter two makes abundantly clear too, that men are a gift of God to women. And this is just true. And I just want you to like stare at these sentences on the screen. And here's what I want you to know. You should be able to say that without blinking. And we live in a culture that says like, oh, men are the worst or women are the worst. And there's this enmity and this fighting. You know, we as followers of Jesus should be able to say, men, you should be able to say, women are a gift in my life. They are a good gift in my life. And women, you should be able to say, men are a gift of God in my life. I appreciate them. I celebrate them. Life wouldn't be the same without them. I don't want to imagine a world without them. That's what we see in the scriptures, that God creates men. God creates women as a gift to one another. Um, Verse 24 here, we're going to look at this. It says, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And so where this is actually going, God creates man and he creates woman. He creates this helper out of the rib. And then it says this, that a man leaves his father and mother, becomes united to his wife, and they become in one flesh, which is like a Bible way of saying they get married, they have sex, they become one flesh. This is actually the beautiful thing about the Adam and Eve story. It's not just a random story of a man and woman. It is a prescription. It is a model. It is a template for the rest of humankind. And you'll see here that it even says a man leaves his father and mother. It doesn't say a man and a woman leave father and mother. It's that a man steps out and does this. And it leads toward what? It leads toward marriage. So tonight, uh, I've been talking about men and women, and we are a gift to each other, that we are the same and yet different, distinct and yet equal in God's eyes. And here's what I want to do in the next few minutes here. Um, I want to try to get really, really practical with you. Um, Because I think there's one thing to say like, yeah, men and women are different and there's on average some differences. But I think when it comes to a dating relationship, I think you need to understand these differences in how you actually interact with the opposite sex, with the opposite gender. So I'm going to speak to men in just a second. I'm going to speak to women in just a second. But I want to remind you of the principle, and it's this, that things can be normal without being universal. So if I say something, you're like, that doesn't apply to me. That's okay. It's just Okay. I'm going to talk about the needs of men and the needs of women. And if you go, oh, that's not my need, that's okay. Things can be normal without universal. There's nothing wrong with you. But I'm just going to talk by and large. So let me speak to men first. Men, here's a word to men. Three things I want to say to you. Um, When you think about dating a woman, when you are in a relationship, she is your girlfriend. When you are engaged to her, when you are married to her, three things I want you to consider about women. Um, Three actions you can take. Number one, take the initiative because women desire pursuit. Men, take the initiative, because women, the women in your life, they desire to be pursued. What does that mean? Very practically, I've said this before, I will say it again, I believe based on what I see of the teaching of the Bible that men should take the risk and ask women on dates. That is what you should do. That you should take the initiative and have the courage to ask a woman on a date that you would initiate, that you would pursue, because that shows the father heart of God who pursues. And when I say you ask women on dates, I have said this before, I will say it again. You walking up to a woman be like, hey, you want to hang out, make coffee sometime? That is not a date. It is not a date. 
What is a date? It is three things. It is affection. It is attention or intention, and it is invitation. Affection is this. I am very interested in you, and I would like to get to know you better, and I would love to take you on a date. Are you free next Friday? That is affection. It is intention. It is invitation. You make it clear. You ask her out. That's what asking on a date is. That's what invitation is. And men, I believe if you are going to honor and love the women in your life, when you are going into a romantic relationship, for you to take that initiative is a beautiful thing. Why? Because women want to feel pursued. And men, you are wired to do that, to take that risk. That's the invitation for you, to ask women on dates. And then listen, it doesn't end once you've had your first date. It's not like, well, that's done in my life. It's like, as a man who is dating, you want to take the initiative. Here's what initiative often looks like in a relationship. You want to get real? Here's what initiative looks like. Hey, we've been off lately and I don't like that. I want to make things better. Can we talk? That's initiative. Initiative is, hey, we've been fighting about the same thing over and over and over again. I think we need to go to a counselor to sort this out. That's initiative. Initiative is you stepping into the arena and saying what needs to be said, leading in what needs to be led, honoring what needs to be honored, and calling out what needs to be called out. That's initiative. Men, show the initiative because women desire to feel pursued. Number two, men, Show that you can provide and protect because women desire security. This is not to say that women need a man and can't provide for themselves. It's not what we're saying at all. It is that inbuilt in women is this desire for safety and security because men, you have to get this. The world is a more dangerous place for women than it is for men. Full stop. It is. It always has been. And so what a woman wants when she is with you is to feel safe, to feel secure, to feel protected. She should feel safe around you. If you do things or say things that make her feel uncomfortable or unsafe, you are not pursuing your heart and you do not understand women. You need to show that you can provide. Now, what does that not mean? I'm not saying you have to be rich. I'm not saying you have to be rich until you can date a woman. When I started dating my wife, I was an intern here at this church. I was making $8 an hour. Annualized with my 30-hour-a-week job here, I was making $12,000 a year. I had no capacity to provide even for me, Okay. <laughs> And yet what my wife saw in me was not he's rich. What she saw in me is he has a desire to grow in such a way that he could provide. Men, that's what you need to do. You need to show a drive and desire in this life that says to a woman, as we grow together, I will protect and provide with you together. That's what women need to know because women desire security. And the men, final thing I want you to know, don't disregard her feelings because women desire to be understood. They do not need to be corrected. They need to be understood. So here's what men tend to do. A woman is crying about something, and men have no idea why. And so what they try to do is they try to explain to the woman why she shouldn't actually be crying. And women, has that ever worked ever? No, it never works. Why? Because you're like, well, you're crying. You shouldn't be crying. Let me tell you the four reasons you shouldn't be crying here. And like that just shows you don't understand women. Women do not want to be talked out of things. They want to be understood first. And men, this is so important. I know we're laughing, but it's so important that you understand that women are not just like you. And if you expect, well, why are you crying? I wouldn't be crying. I'm obviously not crying. Why are you crying? You show you just don't understand. It's because women want to be understood. So what do you do in a relationship? You try to understand first. It doesn't mean every tear or every emotion is right. It doesn't mean you never speak up. It just means you're seeking to understand why. Because women want to be pursued. They want to be understood. And that's what they are desiring in this life. So men, Take the initiative, show you can provide and protect. Don't disregard her feelings. Now let me speak to women. Women, I wanna give you three things for the men in your life. Number one, speak the truth because men desire clarity. They desire clarity. And so here's again where this begins. 
A man says, I'm interested in you and I would like to take you on a date to get to know you better. Are you free next Friday? And if you do not feel interested in that date and your response is something along the lines of, yeah, I'm not really sure I might be busy. Maybe I'm getting my hair done. I think I'm dating Jesus. That is not clear. And what happens is, is, this is so true, and this is not true for all of you, but so many of you grew up in a house full of girls, or you live in a, like a house or a house full of roommates who are all girls. And in girl world, what often happens is that speaking the truth is subservient to making sure everyone feels okay at all times. And so what you're constantly trying to do is manage everyone's emotion. And so in that moment, when the guy asks you on a date, you're like, I just don't want to hurt him in this moment. And so what you think you're doing is you're not hurting him, but what you're actually doing is you're being unclear and hurting him much worse. Men desire clarity. Women, you know what a totally fair and acceptable thing to say if you've been asked on a date that you don't want to go on is? Thank you so much for asking me. I'm flattered that you would ask me, but I'm not interested. And leave it at that. And some of you are like, I can never say that. But that's what men need. They need clarity. The most loving and kind thing you can do is to be clear. To be unclear is to be unkind. Men desire clarity. And listen, that's true at the original date. It's also true when you're dating someone or in a relationship and that man hurts you. Because guess what? Men hurt you sometimes. Husbands hurt wives. But then what can happen so often is you can be hurt and then you just kind of go into your shell. And the guy asks, is something wrong? Are you okay? And you're like, I'm fine. Totally fine, 100% fine. I've never been better, actually. And it's like, no, you're clearly not fine. And what you do is you just shove it down, and you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then the volcano eventually just explodes, right? And, and, and here's the deal. Like, for you to just say, actually, the words you spoke hurt me. Maybe you meant them, maybe you didn't. I just want you to know, to be clear is to be kind, because that's what men need. Men need clarity. How do you understand men? You understand that men actually receive clarity as kindness, even if it stings in the moment. Number one, speak the truth because men desire clarity. Number two, support his work because men desire encouragement. Now, when I say work, that could mean their job. It could mean their passion. It could mean their art. It could mean their life's work, the thing they're working after, their desire, their career, whatever that is. Women, men desire encouragement. Men don't get a lot of encouragement. Maybe you've noticed on social media when a woman posts a little, just say, hey, out at the mall today, everyone's like, you go, girl. You are beautiful. You are amazing. (laughs) Guy posts the same thing. Crickets, right? No encouragement, nothing in this life. Men, just like they crave it, no one gives it to them. And so when you can just build them up and be like, you did great at that. You were amazing at that. You're actually really good at your job. When you encourage them along, it means the world. And you might think, like, why do men need encouragement? Why do you need love? It's because God built you that way. And we don't insult it. We don't dismiss it. We understand it. And women, when you can understand that the men in your life, particularly the men you are dating, involved with, engaged to, or married to, need encouragement, not just from some random person, but from you, it changes your relationship with them. You encourage them along the way. You build them up. You speak positive things in their life. You become their biggest cheerleader who just fans the flame of the passion in their life. We support his work because men desire encouragement. Number three, you don't tear him down because men desire respect. One of the greatest sins women can commit against men is this desire, this intention to tear him down, to knock him down a peg, to insult him in front of his friends or in front of his family, to take a joke at his expense, to knock him down in public. And he may put on a solid face, but it wounds him on the inside. Because the deepest thing the men in your life desire is respect. And you can think that's good or bad or right or wrong. But when Paul the Apostle writes about what men and women should do to each other in marriage, it says that a husband should love his wife and a wife should respect her, her husband. This is what Paul says. 
This is what God says to us. The respect is something men desire and crave deeply. And remember, with all of this, women, men, for all of us, it's not just to stereotype your guy or your girl. It's to build empathy so you can understand them. It's so you can understand them. Verse 25 goes on this way. The last verse in um, Genesis we'll look at. It says, Adam and, Eve and his wife, Adam and his wife, Eve, were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is kind of how like, the chapter ends here. They're like in a garden, naked and totally unashamed. And I think this is actually a beautiful place for us to land tonight. Because this is really how it should be between the genders. That there should be this like, I am who I am and God has created me this way and it is beautiful and I do not feel shame and I don't feel the need to apologize. And yet we live in a culture that has lost its mind about gender, can't decide which way is up. And so oftentimes when it comes to our masculinity or our femininity, we feel like we have to apologize or deny or downplay it. So let me speak once again to men and women. Men, I'll make this quick. A word to men. Number one, you should always apologize for your sin. Let's just be abundantly clear. Men, there is no room, there's no space in this world for you to be like, I'm just a man, that's how men are. Men sleep around, men look at porn. My dad was angry, my dad's dad was angry, and his dad was angry before that. That's just how I am, deal with it. Men, if that is your attitude, I wanna call you to confess and repent of your sin and throw yourself on the mercy of Christ. You should always apologize for your sin. You should always own it. There is no room for boys will be boys and this is just how it is and men are this way and so women should get over it. That is a sin issue and something you should repent of. So listen, you should always apologize for your sin, but men, let me speak this over you tonight. You should never apologize for your masculinity. Never do it. Never do it. You are a man. God has created you as a man and the instincts that God has put inside of you are a man are not something to downplay or apologize or ignore in your life, but rather something to step into as who God has created you and the life he has called you to live and the purpose to which he has called you. Guys, never apologize for your masculinity. God has built you this way. He has made you this way and he is honored when you live into that. Let me speak a word to women. Number one, you should always apologize for your sin and I get in every way that women can look at men and see all the sins that have been committed all throughout human history and we just own all of that. And yet at the same time, we never want to be a place that is gonna call men to repentance and tell women, you're good just as you are. You go, girl. You're perfect just as you are. You guys know that's not gospel, right? Here's gospel. Women, if you have sinned against the men in your life, the man you are dating, the man you are engaged or married to, women, if you have sinned against him, you need to confess and repent and throw yourself on the mercy of a holy God. Women, that is what you need to do. Because women, you should always apologize for your sin. You should never say, well, that's how women are, and that's what men deserve, and that's what I'm just going to do. That's never the Christian way. It is never the gospel way. And yet, women, I want to say this too. You should never apologize for your femininity. You should never apologize that God made you as a woman, and that God made you to live into this woman and this femininity that God gave you. It is a beautiful, good, holy, right thing, not something for you to apologize for. Uh, again, tonight, my intention is to point out that men and women are the same and yet different. And we're going to live into that. We're going to celebrate that, not only in ourselves, but also in the other, because that's what allows flourishing to happen in relationships. Our band's going to make their way up, and I want to read you one final verse out of the book of Romans. Chapter 15, verses 5 and 6 says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The thing I want to point out to you in this benediction that Paul gives is these words where he says you're supposed to have the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Do you know that the Bible is not just concerned with your action and your behavior? It is concerned with your attitude. 
There's sometimes people say, well, I didn't do anything wrong, I didn't say anything wrong, and I didn't act in a bad way, but the scripture is not just concerned with what you do, it is concerned about how you feel. It is concerned about your attitude, and it calls you to have the same attitude, the same heart toward one another that Christ Jesus had. And when it comes to our discussion around gender tonight, I need you to know two things. Number one, if you choose to see the opposite sex as a combatant, you will create harm. Harm in your own life, harm in their life. If you choose to see women and men as some sort of enemy in your life, it will harm you and it will harm them. Like, let me just say this tonight. Women, if every time you say the word men, you say it with a little lump in your throat, we go, men, right? You are creating harm. You are seeing them as your combatant. Men, if every time you say the word woman, you roll your, women. If you roll your eyes, you're treating them as a combatant and it will only create harm for you and harm for the other if you mock and belittle men and women for their desires and their wants and their needs and how God has wired them, you have created a situation in which you are causing harm in your own life and the life of others. But let me tell you the opposite truth, that if you choose to see the opposite sex as your complement, as the gift of God in your life, you will create harmony. Once you start celebrating women as women men, your life will flourish. Women, once you start celebrating men as men, your life will flourish because there will be harmony and you will start to see the other not as some different, awful, horrible person, but rather is a gift of God in your life. Let me close with a question. What if your attitude toward the opposite sex is keeping you from the life God has from you? What if somewhere along the way you picked up either a stereotype or a resentment or an anger or some sort of idea about men and women that is actually keeping you from the life God has? Because one of the most beautiful things we celebrate in this life is the good things that God has created. And right at the very beginning, it tells us that in the image of God, God creates us male and female. And God is honored. And God is glorified when we celebrate the good things he has created in our life. And so in honor of those good things, men and women, the good creation God has given to us, the joy it is to be in relationship and harmony with one another, we're going to worship. We're going to go before that God, that creator God, and we're going to tell him that he is worthy and he is worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for tonight. And I thank you for this uh, just opportunity to think deeply about your word, think deeply about men and women. I thank you for the men in this room. I thank you for the women in this room. And I thank you that in Christ Jesus, you have bound us together by the blood of Christ. God, I ask blessing upon the women in this room. I ask blessing upon the men of this room. I ask that tonight we would celebrate the good gift that you have given us. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna ask you to take a seat if you don't mind. Um, you know, tonight we talked about God's good gift and his gift of men and his gift of women. And we talked about that in the context of relationship and the series that we're going to start this summer. But, but we would be remiss if we did not take a moment tonight to recognize that God has not only called men and women as men and women into relationships, but also into his church. And that his church would not be the same without the men and the women who are part of God's church here at Calvary Community Church. And so if you'll forgive us for going a bit long tonight, what we want to do is we want to take a moment, um, and that moment is simply to commission you. As men and women, Pastor Sarah and I have some words we want to speak over you tonight. We have some words we want to encourage you with. We have some words we want to challenge you with. And we have some words we want to speak over you based on who God has created you to be as men and who God has created you to be as women so I'm going to start with a few words, and then Pastor Sarah is going to share a few words. And then together with one voice, we'll stand and sing one final song. We're going long, so if you need to go, we get it. There's no judgment here. But if you can stay, I believe God has something to say to you in the next few moments 
as we celebrate and honor what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man, and what God has called together in his church. So I want to make a request across this room. Women, would you stand to your feet? Ladies, would you stand to your feet all across this room? Ladies, I want to speak some words over you tonight. I want to speak some words over you as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, as a fellow member of this church. Uh, Oftentimes I just speak from the heart, and yet tonight I think the words that I've written down need to be said as they're written. And so if you don't mind, I want to read these words over you ladies. And this is true about you. This is true for you watching online. This is true of you ladies in this room. Women, I want you to hear this, that women, you are valuable to men. Your thoughts and your insights matter to us. Your feelings and your intuition are indispensable for our lives. Your friendship and your presence are invaluable for our future. You are in every way a gift of God to our lives and to this world. And I can't imagine a life, nor would I want to, without what women bring to the table as friends and classmates and colleagues and mothers and sisters and aunts and grandmas and wives and daughters, and most importantly, as sisters in Christ. Women, I honor you for how God has created you and for the purpose to which God has called you. And ladies, I am so, so sorry for how you have been treated by so many men in your life. I hate that some of you have been abused or harmed in your home growing up. I hate that some of you have been used or taken for granted in romantic interests and relationships. I hate that some of you have been dismissed or patronized at school. I hate that some of you have been overlooked or ignored at work. I hate that you have been objectified and treated like objects in our culture. And I hate the moments that I have been part of that problem in any way. And I repent of any sin I have committed against the women in my life. You deserve so much better than that. And God sees you as so much more than that. Ladies, hear me. You are image bearers of the almighty God, worthy of dignity and value and respect. You were blood bought by Jesus the Messiah on the cross because he looked at you throughout all of history and determined you were worth it. You are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God and filled with gifts and courage to live a life, a life worthy of the calling God has put on your life. Hear me on this. Our church needs you. We would not be the same without you. We need your gifts and your abilities and your talents and your insight and your leadership and your presence. We simply cannot be the church God has called us to be without you. Hear me when I say that your guy friends, the guys in your life need you. They need your wisdom and insight. They need your encouragement and influence. If you could only know how meaningful a kind word or an uplifting conversation is to the men in your life. Listen, if God has a husband for you in the future, he needs you. He needs your faith and your wisdom and your tender love and resilient spirit. He will be blessed immeasurably if you spend this time now before you even meet him growing to be more like Jesus. If God has children for you in your future, they need you. One of the most extraordinary and exclusive gifts God bestowed on women is the capacity to create and cultivate new life. The calling to be a mother, whether you work outside the home or not, is a high and a noble one. And don't you dare let anyone convince you that time spent raising children is less valuable because you don't get a paycheck for it. Women have a unique power to shape and influence their children and through them, the world. Thank you, ladies, for the ways you are image bearers and you show us the heart of God more clearly your love and your joy and your mercy and your patience, your care for the hurting and attention to the heart of God. Show us God more fully for that we are profoundly grateful. Ours is equal and make and our qualities are nuanced and powerful when we live in harmony. We are better together when we work and worship and lead and laugh and do friendship together. We are better when we lay down pieces of our pride and preferences for the good of one another. 
We are better when we leverage our strengths to cover one another's weakness. We are better because the Lord makes it so. Distinct but equal, we advance the kingdom together as sisters and brothers and sons and daughters and fathers and mothers and husbands and wives. And above all, as co-workers in Christ. Ladies, hear me clearly tonight. You matter to the men in this room. Ladies, you can have a seat. I'm going to ask the men in the room now to stand up and hear the truth that we have to speak over you tonight. Hear me when I say that, men, you are valuable to women. Your thoughts and emotions are valuable to women, worthy to be heard, to be weighed, and to be received by us. And men, I want to speak over you now the truth that God created you in his image, and he calls you good. He calls you worthy of love, He tells you that your physical strength and appearance is not all that defines you. That it is not weak to show emotion. In fact, it's not weak to show emotion, not just in your composed moments, but in your wonderings and in your raw ponderings over life. King David did it, Jesus did it, and it is beautiful and it is good. And I'm here to tell you as a woman, that your paycheck or prospective career should not get to dictate your value in our eyes as women. Your character and your integrity are what makes you a good friend, partner, husband, father. That is what we women truly desire to find in you, that character, that integrity. And I am sorry for the times that you have been judged solely by your strength or income, or performance at school or in the workplace, when women have not listened to you or respected you, not because of your character, but because of superficial or shallow standards. When women have made you our competition rather than our ally. When women have superimposed the traumas and failings of other men over your life and judged you undeservingly. And even if you have been those men at some point, when we have not allowed Jesus to sit on the throne of judgment and mercy in your life, and we've tried to take that place instead. I know I've been guilty of all these things in my view of men, and I've been guilty of the latter, and for that, I am sorry. There is grace for you, and the Lord reminds us of that, that our differences are uniquely good, and they make us uniquely powerful as partners in this life, a threat to the enemy as we together express the fullness of God as men and women together in his kingdom. You see, when you initiate and lead with humility, it is so powerful for us. When you use your words to build us up and build others up, it is healing. When you listen intently to our thoughts and feelings, it honors and empowers us in a very unique way. Men, you are more than your addictions. You are more than your lusts or your past failures, more than your accomplishments, more than your job title or resume. How? Because Jesus says so. And we as women who are following the Lord say so in agreement. We say amen to God and his perspective over your life. Because families, they need your presence, both your current family and your future family. Your impact on the family is unique and it is God given. You are not limited to the best or worst of your own earthly father. Friends, both men and women, they need your vulnerability. 
Look at the candor of the disciples. Jesus embraced their weaknesses, their doubts, their questionings and fears, and it made them more like him. The next generation needs your example. The young men and women in your families, the children in our ministries here, the middle schoolers, the college-age students just five years below you, they need your example. The church is better when you pursue Jesus wholeheartedly, when you give your time, talents, and treasure to the kingdom, it advances. Just as Eve was crafted to improve and enhance and complement Adam, you were, do, you were crafted to do the same. You men, you enhance and you improve women's existence. You help women see attributes of God with more vibrance and with more focus, his father's heart, his protective nature, the power of pursuit and consistency, just to name a few. Our make is equal in value and our quality is nuanced and powerful when we use them in harmony. We are better when we work together, worship together, and lead together. We are better when we lay down pieces of our pride, preferences, and lives for the good of each other. We are better when we leverage our strengths to cover each other's weaknesses. And we are better because the Lord God made it so. Distinct but equal, we advance the kingdom of God together as sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, mothers, fathers, husbands, and wives. Above all, as co-workers in Christ. And men, you are valuable to women. So women, if you would stand together with your brothers, friends, partners, we're gonna worship the Lord God with one voice together. Join us.